welcome to Gen Topic. I'm Sarah. And I'm Anya. And it's Friday at five o'clock. Oh, time for gin. Yay! We're going to drink a gin with our guests and enjoy this week's topic. Yay! Cheers! Cheers! Hey, Anya. Hello. This feels really weird. I know it feels really weird, but it also feels really cool because we got Series 5. I mean, we did Series 5, our little special Christmas social, but this is proper Series 5. This is actual Series 5. Actual first episode of Series 5 with us in different places. Yeah, it's very bizarre. I'm used to being able to sort of properly interact with you but now you're just on a little computer screen i'm in a little screen little screen and you can only (laughs) see me from my sort of ribs up that's it not even that i can only really see you from sort of just above your chest up i know i could be wearing a mermaid costume underneath and you wouldn't know oh i really wish you were (laughs) i really wish you were or flamingo legs I don't know why mermaids and flamingos come into mind. (laughs) Or yeti feet. But this is series five. Maybe it's time to have something special. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe that's the thing. Maybe each time I'm going to wear something different and you have to try and guess. Um, I don't want to do that. No, no. no. (laughs) I haven't got anything. I've just got my slippers on. I've got bed socks on. Oh, good. Good. So we're comfy. We're in our own little spaces, but we're comfy. Yeah. And series five... Episode one, it's a good one. Okay, excellent. We love a good one. Why is it a good one? Well, because it's a feel-good one. It should make us feel good because we are talking happiness. Oh, love that. Love that. Brilliant. So we are talking to Nick Gibson. Mm Mm-hmm. And Dr. Nick Gibson is a lecturer in positive psychology. Oh, okay. at, At Anglia Ruskin University. And they specialise in applied positive psychology. Okay. So not just theoretical. But applying it to people and things. Absolutely. Okay. And especially with young people. So more about you than me. Do I still count as a young person? Where, where does the line get drawn? Well, then you'd have to go back to the whole coming-of-age debate, yes, huh? that's true. I'd like to think I'm still a young person. <laughs> well, I think you have to, because otherwise you'd have to stop reading your young adult literature. <laughs> you can prize those at my cold, dead hands. That's never <laughs> happening. Never. <laughs> so, we are talking happiness. Um, our question mm-hmm. is, what makes us happy? Oh, okay. And very unique and individual. We'll have a chat about what we think we know mm-hmm. about that. Well, absolutely. But of course, we've got gin. <laughs> makes gin us makes us happy. happy. <laughs> it's true. Now, if you haven't listened to this week's tasting room yet, we've already spent a little time chatting with our guest and with our gin expert, Emma. Finding out all about this week's gin, why our guest has chosen it, what it tastes like, and whether we like it or not. And this week, we're drinking Opia. So don't forget to listen to our tasting room. But now, on with the topic. We're talking about happiness and what happiness is. Yes. So, Nick, you can relax with your gin. 
<laughs> because this is the moment where we divulge all of our knowledge and experience. Nice. It doesn't Super. normally take that long. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm here for it. <laughs> so our question is, what is happiness? Or no, sorry, what makes us happy? Mm. Um, so we're going to answer that question. And Nick, you can listen for the gaps that sure. we need to understand <laughs> about happiness and what makes us happy. Because as we said, we were saying uh, one of the first things straight away is gin. gin. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cheers. <laughs> so Anya, what do you know about happiness? Mm. What makes you happy? I mean, lots of things make me happy. If yeah. I'm being scientific, that's right, I'm going to try. <laughs> uh, dopamine and serotonin come to Technically, mind. Technically, the only uh-huh. two things you enjoy. Absolutely true. So those are the neurotransmitters that are released in response to happiness. That's uh, on a biological level. Um, those things are released. Uh, that's our reward system. That's our uh, behavioral reward system. That's your way of your brain and your biology saying that was a good thing to do. Keep doing that thing. So See, yes, there you go. Yes. I've got some knowledge. But if we're asking, you have some knowledge. On some more <laughs> on your what makes you happy basis. Mm. I would say um, fantasy books. Um, <laughs> yeah, seeing Doctor Who filming on a street that I used to live on that made me very happy. <gasps> oh yeah, that's amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. amazing. <laughs> I saw the actual TARDIS. That made me very happy. Oh my god, I'm so here for the nerd joy. Yes. How far away? How far away from the TARDIS were you? I wasn't allowed close, but I I could see it. It was there, <laughs> and I got stopped, which was very exciting. I was told oh, I wasn't amazing. allowed to walk, so that was enough. <laughs> um, but thank God I don't live on that street anymore because I would be a nightmare. Um, <laughs> but that makes me happy, and yeah. gin makes me happy, and. Mm-hmm. Dogs make mm-hmm. me happy, and I'm sure there's lots mm-hmm. of reasons why they might. But yes, yeah, yes. Sarah, happiness, <laughs> happiness. <laughs> um, so well, I find happiness really weird because it's like where where do you measure happiness? So I'm really mm. interested in that whole, you know, what is actually happy and is there a mm. benchmark of happiness and can you be too happy? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I'm really interested in exploring that because that's what I started to think about with happiness mm. and what makes you happy and the fact that it's hugely subjective. So absolutely, gin, dogs, books, <laughs> you know, out in the countryside, greenery, yeah. you know, sunshine. I've decided I am solar yes. powered. <laughs> I do not work when the sun is not out. But all of these are quite oh. subjective, but I've always been quite a positive person yeah mm. it's exhausting honestly sometimes <laughs> you're there and you're like I'm having the worst day and you know when you need to wallow a little bit and Sarah's like oh no have a j- everything's gonna be and it's like no I'm in a bad <laughs> mood we I'm are hearing wallowing. my feelings right now yeah. <laughs> come on it's fine it's fine have a gin <laughs> so I think it is really mm. subjective because I've always been really positive. But mm. the other thing with that thinking about positive psychology is because of work in communication mm. is knowing about things like 
the mirror neurons and the fact that if you just pulled a happy facial expression and looked at yourself looking happy, it would kick some of those mirror neurons in order to kind of feel a little bit happy. See, Mm. you Um, saw me do a sciencey thing and you went, I'm going to one-up you on the sciencey thing. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. yeah, You take your amines, dopamines and other means (laughs) and I will give you mirror neurons. Talking about Doctor Who, please. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, so I think there's also that, you know, if you give off a positive sort of non-verbal behaviours, non-verbal sort of responses, then you also get positive non-verbal responses from other people. And if you're happy, other people will be more happy towards Mm. you. And so that whole social interaction of happiness, I think, and being around people, I mean, I'm quite happy not to be around people personally (laughs) most of the time Uh, but that kind of interaction is quite good what other Mm. things oh another one for you social stroking technical term apparently when you go out and you say you know hello and someone says hello and apparently that's meant to make us happy Oh, I thought mm. that was just a really like British thing where you just sort of it's... be like, oh, the weather's awful today, isn't it? Oh, yeah, shocking. Did you see it on Tuesday? <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, God. <laughs> so so this is delightful because you've actually, between you, touched on a lot of things, which is Yay! fantastic. Um, so you are correct in that happiness is wildly subjective in many, many ways. Um, we actually sometimes have issues. There's a lot of debates in psychology, exactly as you said, of how do we measure happiness? Because the problem is the only way to know if someone is happy is to ask them. <laughs> because, you know, you know, for example, I don't know about you guys, I have sort of resting frowny face. And so yeah. sometimes people will be like, what's wrong? And I'm like, genuinely nothing. This is just my face. Resting I'm actually bitch face. Fine. It's resting yeah, right, bitch I'm face. actually fine. And so we often have this problem where, you know, people will say, oh, but, you know, you're you're not this or you're not, or people will project, they will interpret your emotional experience based on what it looks like to them. And in fact, often that's not necessarily how you are internally experiencing things. So there's a lot of subjectivity. There's a lot of what we call individual differences. So individual differences in what makes you happy. We love gin. We love books. We love Doctor Who. We love dogs. Uh, I love all of the animals. Um, but equally, there are people who I can't imagine why and what's wrong with them as people, but there are people who don't like dogs. I'm not sure what's gone wrong there, but apparently it's a thing. Um, so, sh- you know, I mean, it's fine if you don't, but also it's fine. you're it's broken. Fine. Yeah, yeah, you're wrong. It's okay to be wrong, but you are wrong. Um, anyway, so, so there's things like that which absolutely are very individual and uh, very, very individual differences, very subjective. Um, but there are certain things you'd mentioned, like how do we measure happiness? And there's lots of ways mm. to do it. So we understand happiness on two levels. And what was glorious is you actually kind of hit upon both of them. I love it when we inadvertently come across things that we yeah. are, are like truths or known things. And we're like, yeah, made up. Yeah. Didn't know it existed. But yeah, we touched on it. We know stuff. (laughs) Absolutely. It's very intuitive. So one of the things that you touched on was this idea of being a happy person. And we understand happiness on two levels. One of them is what we call trait happiness. In other words, your disposition, your temperament. Some people just tend to be more happy and positive individuals. Um, I try, God damn it, Sarah, I try. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, I know this hope for you, it's fine. Um, so, uh, so um, and those things are relatively stable. Now they can change a little bit. So generally 
what we find is across the lifespan, people tend to become more positive as they get older, which is really? interesting. Very different to the stereotype of the grumpy old person. Is That's that what actually... I was going to say, because I yeah. feel like we have this real stereotype of old people who are there going, get off my lawn. But actually, exactly. when I think about it, being in my early 20s, teenagers are miserable all the exactly. time. <laughs> but can you also be a happy grump? You know, just being grumpy doesn't mean you're unhappy. No, that's true. You can be and really actually, happy, but grumpy with the world. You can. And so interestingly, we see things like often there are other factors here as well. And what this really comes down to is a concept of authenticity. So Annie, you were talking about like, oh, it's really annoying when you just want to be in your feelings and someone is trying to just sort of happy you out of it and sort of happy at you. Um, and there's a, there's a degree of truth in that as well, in that all emotions are information and they are important and they enable us to do different things. So for example, example, when you're in a positive mood state, you tend to have a um, more creative mindset. You tend to come up with more flexible thinking. You tend to think in specific ways. You tend to remember and make associations between positive things. But when you are in a negative mood state, the opposite is true. You tend to be much more focused, mm. much more linear in your thinking, and you tend to problem solve in a much more ironically logical fa- fashion and be much mm. more specific. Um, and obviously, we know that things like you know grief and frustration and anger are important emotions, and they can precipitate positive action. So there is this kind of thing about, we often think that happiness is only about the emotion of happiness, but Mm. often you have this personality level. Are you a dispositionally happy person? Then there's the level of mood. Are you happy right now? How do you feel right now? We call Mm. that state emotion, how you feel at this moment. Um, But Happiness, of course, is telling us something important and so are other emotions. And one of the key factors in positive psychology is authenticity, is recognising the feelings that you're having and trying to do something positive with them without suppressing or denying or ignoring them. No, it's like the Snoop Dogg affirmation song I keep listening to where he's like, my feelings matter. (laughs) They do. Your feelings are valid and they are telling you important things. And so often, um, one of the things that we talk about a lot in positive psychology is the ability to regulate your emotions but emotion regulation is only possible when you recognize what the emotion is you recognize where it's coming from you understand what it's trying to tell you and you process that and take positive action which is why when you don't know when you're crying it's so much harder to stop crying because you don't know why it's happening (laughs) absolutely absolutely so we understand happiness on all of these kind of levels and also the pursuit of happiness is something of an oxymoron if you try and pursue happiness you'll never actually get Mm. there Mm. you have to it's just like a rainbow the end of a rainbow you know it is going. Like, absolutely and there's a thing called the hedonic treadmill which is if you try and pursue happiness for its own sake you you run faster and faster only to stay in the same place mm-hmm. that in fact by pursuing things that uh from which we derive joy and meaning and authenticity happiness is the byproduct so you can't Mm. kind of pursue it directly you have to pursue it by Mm. doing things like enjoying books enjoying the things that you love um and you all actually flagged up some things that again positive psychology and psychology in general tells us in most cases are critical to our happiness Individual Are you aside. about to tell me that my reading so many books and getting really fixated on them is a good thing? It's critical. I, I am. It's critical. I am. Oh, so, justification. Absolutely. <laughs> 
Absolutely. So, for example, we know from research that people who read books, there's a, a, a quote, uh, one about one of my favourite authors, George R. R. Martin, who says that um, the man who doesn't read lives only one life. The man who reads lives a thousand lives and more. Mm. And it's true. And actually, we are better at social and emotional connection if we read a lot. If we read mm. more about other people, we're better at empathy. We're better at understanding other people because we spend a lot of time in other minds. Oh, my God. The fact that I read so much as a kid is why I have such problems now with being too empathetic to people. Yes. It all makes yes. sense. Absolutely. Well, and it links Absolutely. To... Do you remember our, um, we talked about children li- children's yes. literature, yeah. didn't we? Um, and the the fact that the books and I I've never forgotten that the fact of them being both windows and mirrors they yeah. absolutely are. I loved her quote mm. of that and the fact that they are those windows and mirrors yeah and so being able to experience that then means that you're more subjective to more positive emotions or understanding your emotions as well you're more you're more sensitive to um, understanding your own emotions and also Mm. understanding the emotions of others and that leads to more Mm. positive interactions because if you can understand your own emotional state and understand other people's emotional state that empathy and that compassion will lead to something else which is critically important for happiness and that's positive social connections and Mm. social support networks and interestingly Mm. it doesn't matter how sociable you are dispositionally so whether you're an extrovert or an introvert. I was going to say, because I'm typically rather introverted. I like my time alone. Yes. I like my books. But yeah. there's also, I need to recharge and have that time alone. But yes. if you don't have that social interaction still, after a while, you're kind of a bit like, oh, I need to have a conversation with somebody because this oh, is... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so this comes to this idea of, um, again, authenticity, right? So it's not about... And, and I also love the fact that you have correctly identified what introvert means, which is that you need to recharge on your own. Mm-hmm. It's not that you don't yeah. enjoy social interaction. It's that social interaction, you spend energy on it and you mm-hmm. then need to go away and recharge that energy. Whereas extroverts are the opposite. They spend energy when they are alone and they recharge it by being other around other people. There's a stereotype that introverts don't like socialising. That's not true. Yeah. They just yeah. don't like socialising with people they don't connect with. That's a different <laughs> thing. Um, I love it. Yes, thank you. Whole description. Thank you. There I am. Yes, just like a little therapy session for us it all. is, like, it yeah, is. I'm just here validating. <laughs> I was thinking how I think our, all our batteries are different in terms yes. of how quickly they run out of mm-hmm. charge. Like, you know, I need to recharge for quite a long time for small bouts yeah. of social yes. interaction. But depending on the person, because I always think it's amazing when you meet people like Freya, who's just bought me my pepper, yeah. and they don't drain your battery. At all. I can be around yes. Sarah for days and I'm okay. <laughs> and that's when you know you found your your people, right? Yeah. That's kind of the thing. So so similar to yourselves, I am uh, so I am what would be called an ambivert. And an ambivert means mm. that essentially I can be incredibly sociable, albeit when I choose. But I am slightly more in the introverted spectrum because as much as I enjoy that and as much as I can gain some energy from that sometimes, after a while, I really do just want to retreat and have my quiet space. I have been known, my family and friends know this, I will book time off work and explicitly tell everyone I know they are not allowed to come and see me <laughs> because that is my time. I've just booked that. I've just booked a whole yes. day to myself. <laughs> yes. 
So this is completely appropriate and absolutely, again, about understanding. And often people who read a lot and have very close empathic connections, they form better social support networks and good social support networks and having authentic friendships and social support is incredibly important to our happiness and our well-being because it means that when we feel good, we reach out and we share good news and we get that emotion Mm. amplified back to us. But also Mm. when we feel bad, we reach out and share are upset and we get support and we get um you know condolence and we get compassion and, and that gin. helps us and gin and we get to manage that better so social support is absolutely a thing whether you are an introvert or an extrovert it's about finding your people and maintaining your boundaries for recharging so can i just can i dig into that in terms of that sure. social support and modern social media mm, and I was does just that provide that. the social support that's needed so I've, well, yeah. I've got two things one is can you be a happy hermit <laughs> right because you know is it just that if you occasionally go to the shop and get mm. something that's enough if you're a happy hermit and then the second one is that do the social media and and online social support is that enough is that the right Thing, or can that actually be damaging, detrimental to your happiness, damaging to your happiness? Yeah. So, so as you would expect, and one thing I will say about psychologists, which I apologize in advance, the answer is almost, it depends and it's complicated. So mm-hmm. um, that's the best way because it means we have so much more to talk about. <laughs> absolutely. So being a happy hermit is possible because in any scenario, there are what we call outliers. So what we tend to say is anything that we understand from science tells you about most people in most situations, most of the time, but it doesn't actually tell you about a specific individual and there are always outliers on both ends mm. of the spectrum so Love yes an outlier. absolutely so yes happy hermits do exist generally speaking um things like that that sort of kind of social stroking the idea of just connecting and still being able to communicate um you can be a happy hermit and just have fairly uh if you like shallow and i don't mean shallow in terms of you know selfish or not meaningful but mm. i mean like mm. not deeper prolonged surface interactions. level type surface thing. level mm. that's a better way thank you surface <laughs> level yeah. interactions with other human beings because it keeps you grounded and connected so for example we know that if you are a complete hermit and you literally never see anyone else your sense of identity can become a little bit fractured and unmoored mm. because you have mm. no sense of external validation that you're real that you exist mm. that you occupy space in the world so it can Mm. be damaging to your personality and your sense of um, authenticity and integrity your sense of self-concept if you literally never see another human being we know that that can be Mm. difficult and problematic but for some people yes as you said batteries are different for some people all they really need is just that very brief connection of i matter i exist you know i i have space in the world i am recognized by other humans and that's all i need that sounds like a daily affirmation that you'd put in, on the side of your door before yeah. you walk out yeah. isn't it you know? I, matter. I'm there, I matter I have space in the world I exist yeah, I'm absolutely. out of here some days it's one of those days Sarah sometimes it's like forget the bigger yeah. things it's just I matter I exist absolutely some days it's just I am valid I am real this is yeah. how it is and that's completely fine so yes you do get outliers and social media is is complicated so um, one of the oldest social media things around it kind of took the world by storm is 
is, of course, Facebook. Um, mm. We know that Facebook is problematic. I hate Facebook. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Put it, put it it's on kind main. Of- I hate it. The only good thing that came out of Facebook was Andrew Garfield doing that little <laughs> speech in the social network where he storms into the office. He's like, my Prada's at the dry cleaners. That's the only good thing. <laughs> That was that was that was a litmus moment for our times. This is true. This is true. Um, but yeah, so what we find is that social media creates both opportunities and problems. Now, most social media uh, exists in a space of what we call bridging rather than bonding. So bridging means that you have these shallow connections with just interests and, and thought processes and kind of, you know, this interest group or that interest group or whatever. Um but it doesn't really deepen social connection in any way. The only deep social connections we see on social media, by and large, are ones that existed outside in the world already mm-hmm. that are just added to or augmented by social mm. media. So, and this is cultural traction. We know this, right? Because we talk about the idea of like, are you friends or are you Facebook friends? Are you friends or do you just follow her on Instagram and know everything that's going on in their life? Exactly, right? Like, are you friends or are you social media friends? And social media is weird because it allows us to make comparisons between ourselves and other people. And we know from social psychology that that can be a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing. Mm. So what we find Mm. is that upward social comparisons are damaging. When it looks to you like everyone's having a better time than you, it makes you feel bad about yourself. And because social media, specifically Instagram and Facebook, and often YouTube as well, this is a very curated image of what these people are. Mm. This is not their life. You do not see all of their challenges and struggles. You do not see all of their self-doubt. You just see this very polished um, uh, kind of avatar version of who they actually are. But that's why I love that this whole trend of like private Instagrams and TikToks as well, I think a little bit, where people are just posting like all their worst moments has happened. Because it's like, yeah, let's join in this together. I want to see you crying because you decided to rewatch normal people at three in the morning. That's what I want. (laughs) Absolutely. And again, it's that thing of sort of normalizing. So interestingly, things like Snapchat and Instagram and TikTok are, because they're much more ephemeral and kind of immediate and, and emotive, there's much less curated imagery around there. It's much more just like, here's my raw, like messy as hell self. And that's in many ways, much more affirming. So when social media is used in that sense, in ways of, that promote relatedness, that promote um, that kind of thing of like, oh my God, that's so relatable. Like, yeah, we've all been here. That solidarity is beneficial. I have a saved Mm. TikTok folder that is just called Relatable and has TikTok saved that I find relatable. Absolutely, absolutely. So things like that are generally much more positive. Don't don't shake your head at me, Sarah. Don't (laughs) shake your head at me. I was shaking my head on a, how does anybody have time for any of those things? (laughs) I just... Don't, don't. I'm too busy because walking the dogs. When you're busy walking the dogs or, you know, bringing up your child, I'm here <laughs> in the bath scrolling through TikTok. <laughs> yep. And I will admit I consume far too much YouTube. You know, I'm there. I'm I'm that person. Um, but so again, there's an element of, of it depends. So social media can be beneficial, but you need to curate your experience on there and you need to manage your expectations and your reality mm. checks around that. Otherwise, it can become very damaging. And it can become mm. problematic. It's interesting as well because recently, sorry, Sarah, we've put a dog down and it was very, you know, mm. sad and difficult. But both 
of us posted on Instagram something, A, to remember that dog, but also it was lovely to have people comment and message back and say things. And I think Mm. there is that thing about people, when something sad happens, they do Mm. go on there and that sort of love of outpouring people they care about on there does make you happier in some really awful moments. Yeah, and it's interesting. I rarely, rarely post when Mm. the reason for posting was to kind of gently tell mm. people yeah so yeah. I didn't have to have those conversations yeah. <laughs> yeah. it yeah. was just a gently oh by the way yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think you know the the other thing in terms of happiness is then um I did that later mm. when I had more space to kind of think about it yes and thinking about events that aren't as necessarily as traumatic as yeah. putting a dog down <laughs> but that a lot of it we we kind of do on social media in the experience that we're yes. no longer actually in it with the human beings that are around us because yeah. we're then curating our online life no, it's and that true. must be detrimental to the social connections that we could have and the happiness around us yeah so i think it can it can be difficult because some people end up feeling like sort of responsible for the social media space that you have to kind of inform Mm. people like if you go quiet you're suddenly somehow accountable to these kind of crowd of faceless strangers to Mm. explain Mm. why you've been quiet or why you've gone offline and certainly that can be problematic Um, but again as you said there can sometimes be advantages to that so for example instead of having to go through every single person on your contact list and having a really exhausting stressful conversation about unpacking what you're going through for other people when perhaps you're not done unpacking it for yourself um, Mm. can be very, very difficult, Um, especially because we do live in very distributed social networks Mm. now. Very rarely Mm, do you actually sit down and unpack something you know, even if you're telling your family and friends, most of them, it's going to be over the phone anyway. It's going mm, to be yeah, remote mm. anyway. Yeah, most of my friends are all over the country now. So why would I want to reach out to them all individually and say, hey, I'm having a really bad time when I could just post a stupid Instagram and story. Hey, being like, hey, I'm crying, but Sarah bought me gin. <laughs> yeah, and, and so in some respects, it removes the emotional labour because what then that allows you to do is that if you actually need that immediate emotional support, you'll reach out to the social network that you have in real life. But you then have the capacity to say, okay, now that I've done a little bit of processing, I am in a place to then, as you said, like open that up and kind of this is what's going on. This is why I've been quiet. Mm. And it removes that labor of having to go through it every Mm. single time that you explain to someone, which can be incredibly draining and and get in the way of you having the resources to process on your own Mm. behalf. But that also Mm. takes us onto something else that we know that uh, psychology says makes us happy. And that's animal companionship. So it turns out, yes, yes. so it turns out that there's something called the pet effect. And um, for context, this obviously only applies if you like pets. If you don't like pets, this isn't going to work. But if you like pets, we understand that there's something called the pet effect. So much so that if you grow up with pets, Mm -hmm. children and young people who grow up with pets, whether or not they are neurodivergent, neurodivergent children get a particular Mm -hmm. benefit over and above. But even normally... non-neurodivergent I should say normal in quotation marks (laughs) even non or I should say neurotypical so even neurotypical children um, they do better academically they have better Mm. verbal skills they have better empathy they have more social connections is there something in that you learn from an early age this lovely cute creature brings me joy and happiness so then when you're an adult you're like well this will make me happy I need this (laughs) 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's the thing. Of it's, it's often the interesting thing is that, um, so we see studies, for example, that people will say that their pets, their dogs, their animals, whether it's dogs or cats or whatever your preference is, are, a, are sometimes a better form of social support and affection than mm. other humans are. Because other humans are complicated. <laughs> yeah. They're messy. They have their own demands. They, they have their own back. emotions. They talk I mean, back. They judge you. They have expectations. They your offer solutions don't. when you just want someone to listen. Exactly. They don't just do what you want them to do in the hope of some cheese. Precisely. Precisely, precisely. And so a lot of people find that pets are actually a more stable, reliable, non-judgmental mm-hmm. form of emotional support than other humans are, especially in difficult circumstances. So we find, for example, neurodivergent children develop better if they have pets. Even neurotypical mm-hmm. children develop better if they have pets. Adults who are going through difficult times will cope better if they have pets. We even see things like chronic and terminal illnesses. People cope better mm-hmm. if they have pets. And then I suppose there's the whole thing to be said about emotional support animals um, absolutely therapy animals all of these things they mm, reduce our stress mm. we know that just being in the room with a dog or a cat any kind of pet that you like reduces your blood pressure produces bonding hormones makes you more relaxed reduces all of these cortisol things even looking at images or watching videos of animals doing silly things That's helps us de-stress sad, I asked Sarah to send me dog videos <laughs> yes absolutely absolutely and you so, always do you help yeah yeah and science backs this up that these things are good for you the mere presence of an animal is incredibly relaxing and reassuring for people no matter what they're going through at the risk of anya tearing up um, the the dog that we just put down one of his best moments in his life was when he would walk with me down the road to the bottom yeah. of the garden. Oh to no, the I know what you're going to say, and I might tear up. <laughs> <laughs> and without a lead on, he'd walk by my side. We'd mm. ring the doorbell. They'd open the door. He would then go off, trot down the hallway mm. on his own to the room that he knew he went to, get on a beanbag, and then children after children would come in individually and read to him. And there was one boy That's who delightful. wouldn't read to anybody else oh. and would just like to punch and kick other people. But he told Crunchy all about flanimals. <laughs> Crunchy knew everything about yeah. flanimals. And every time he would spend other pe- other oh. children's time with Crunchy, he would be in there for I ages. I think we need That's to just dedicate this flannimals. episode to Crunchy. I think we yeah. should. I yeah. think we should dedicate this episode to Crunchy. But I- it had, it demonstrated exactly yeah. what you were saying, mm. because yeah. for this boy, he was calm. He was not wanting to punch and kick, kick and, you know, deal with all the emotions with anyone else. He was able to read, focused purely on them. The fact that I was helping him to read, he didn't acknowledge any of that because all he had was focus with the dog. And actually, there's there's a lot to be said about so children who do struggle or even just people who struggle. Um, there's a lot about the fact that the animals are incredibly honest. They're very mm. clear with their body language about what's mm. going on, about how they're feeling. They will mm. feed off your energy. So if you want to have a good time with an animal, you calm down. You centre, you focus on them. They will mirror mm. you very, very well. Um, and so this is why we see a lot of like even non-children who are, for example, um, very high support needs on, for example, something like the autistic spectrum. Mm. They will cope much better with animals because animals, for example, do not expect you to do prolonged eye contact, <laughs> which ASD 
children struggle with. Um, but they are very, very good at signaling with their whole body what's happening. And so even nonverbal children can understand what's going on mm. and derive comfort from that. And we, even as if you're neurotypical, if you're an adult, we still derive a great deal of comfort of the fact that this animal doesn't care if you've had a bad day, they adore you, right? You are their everything. When you come home, they're going to show up, they're going to be present with you. Every day is the best day because they are spending time with you. And so that is hugely reassuring, hugely affirming. It boosts our self-esteem. It boosts the self-esteem of children. It's why children who grow up with pets have better self-concept. Children who grow up with pets are much better at having a sense of who they are, setting boundaries. They have higher self-esteem and they have a better sense of autonomy. Which They're is much so be- true because Orla is yeah. so much better at all those things than I am. So. <laughs> <laughs> but Okay, so also, should we as humans be more like dogs? in order to be better human beings with other human Wait, beings. No, being, because this links you know, into my whole theory about if you treat yourself <laughs> like a golden retriever, you will be happier. Because if well, you I was, force yourself yeah. to go on a walk, you force yourself <laughs> to eat well, and you force yourself to have some love, you will be happier. And you reward yourself constantly yes. for good behaviour. Absolutely. And again, actually, you beautifully link this to another thing that we know makes us happy, which is ta- which is exercise and time in green spaces. Mm-hmm. So these mm-hmm. things we know are very, very good for our mental health and well-being. At the end of the day, we're all just monkeys in shoes with delusions of grandeur. Like, really, when it comes down to it, what we enjoy is being in nice, you know, relaxing places in open air, out in the, in the fresh air. So yes, like taking exercise, going for walks in green spaces, these are really good for you. One of the things that I love about humans just as a species, and it's a very weird thing, is that even the most introverted human would be considered super social in any other way. So the only animal on earth who has societies, groups, and, and you know, kind of communities mm. as large as we do are social insects. There's no other mammal as sociable as we are. And there's certainly no other animal on the earth that is so compulsively sociable that we will bond with anything that will have us, whether they, they are our species or not. Like we will make friends with everything, cats, dogs, horses, that crow in your back garden. We give names to our technology. We bond plants. with our cars. My like, clothes, my car. You know, plant, they don't have to be animals, yeah. Anything. Everything. Anything and everything. I've named a giant hoodie. <laughs> I put on a giant blanket hoodie and I'm like, oh, Brenda, it's good to see you again. <laughs> yes, right? I, this is, I put googly eyes on things. So my kettle has googly eyes. My Roomba has googly eyes. They have names. They're my friends. It's a whole thing. Um, and so this capacity oh to bond and to reach out to other things and to feel part of a community of any kind is hugely important to us. And we know that spending time in green spaces, interestingly, even if you do it alone, mm. makes you feel less lonely. Mm. You feel mm. happier, you feel less lonely because you are surrounded by life, by the planet just living right at you, right in your face. Mm. And you see birds and you see animals and you see whatever. We'll make friends with trees. We'll make friends with birds. We'll make friends with anything. And so that capacity to spend time in nature and feel that connection to the world, to communities of other living things is hugely life affirming. And we know that it makes us feel better about ourselves and it makes us feel less isolated 
because anyone who's ever lived in a cubicle, there's nothing more isolating than working in a cubicle or having to deal with that every single day or that sort of city mindset that we get in where there's so many people and it's so overwhelming mm. that you have to put mm. blinkers on just to mm. be able to kind of function. The London Underground being a classic example. Yeah, I was going to say just, yeah, I certainly found living in London, mm. that whole being amongst lots of people and yes. just not it's incredibly overwhelming whereas i can go and talk to everything when i'm walking the dogs it doesn't talk back but it's interesting because i have this i have this conversation quite a lot with people about living where i do in bristol now the fact Mm. that the area of bristol i'm in is quite village like and it's very friendly and if you go and get coffee people say good morning and if you're with a dog or you say hello to dog they chat and it's that thing about it's a city but it's a very weirdly friendly city people will (laughs) talk to you (laughs) yeah yeah and it's interesting for me so uh you can probably tell because i talk funny i'm from scotland and scotland (laughs) is very uh scotland is very odd in that we talk about the fact that we are very very friendly on a surface level so in scotland you can talk to anyone anyone will talk to you they will go out of their way if you say i don't know how to get somewhere it's very likely a scottish person will take time out of their day and just show you how to get there Mm -hmm. um but actually becoming having that deep connection is harder work um, mm. and you're not likely to get that quite as easily. It's a very bizarre culture in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas England, I find, is is kind of different. It's quite hard to get people mm. to do that. But once they do, they're kind of, that's it. They're invested. Now. Yeah. Like, that's it. Immediately. <laughs> Best friends for yeah, life. Immediately. That's kind of it. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's been culturally very interesting to me. Um, and I think that's the thing of uh, the interesting thing that I always find that regardless of sort of cultural norms or what we do or don't do or what we do and don't think is normal. The interesting thing is that human beings and I love human beings, humans can be terrible. You know, the world is in is not is not in a wonderful state and human beings can Putin's be very silly. a bit shit. Yeah, you know, it's a bit. <laughs> drink it's more getting, gin. Yeah, drink more gin. It's getting a little bit dystopian out there. But um, I'm not ready to be Katniss Everdeen. I'm too old now. <laughs> me either. Me either. I do not volunteer as tribute. I'm sorry. I do not volunteer as tribute. <laughs> I don't um, want to be the main character anymore. No, God, no. I never want to be the protagonist. No. Oh, thank you. Can I just be a peaceful NPC? Yeah. I can't deal yeah. with this. Do you know, isn't it, isn't it bad that w- everything that's going on in the world, I was looking at books the other day, as you do, um, and I'm looking at these books and it's going, you know, top picks or whatever, and I look at it and it's like, uh, pandemic, uh, mm. end of the world war. I'm like, you know, actually... I don't want to read any of that because it's all a bit too possible. I love fantasy, (laughs) Sarah, because it's like there's never going to be a fairy who knocks down my front door. It's like, you've got to come with me to some weird fairyland because you killed my (laughs) mate. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's true. And I think that's the thing is, um, so that's actually an interesting point that I'll kind of throw out there of something that doesn't make us happy. Mm. And that's watching the news. Yes. Yeah. There, there oh, is genuine so documented evidence that watching the news and spending far too much time being focused on global affairs will make you miserable. And there's a number of reasons for this. And it's sort of tangentially related, which is human beings really, at the end of it, most of us are genuinely very sociable. Most people, when put in a spot, will do their best to help someone else in need. We may not want to exactly, but we will. People are very, very willing. Someone who actually needs us, we are much more Mm. likely to down our tools, shelve our shit and actually help someone. Mm. People are much more pro-social than the media or anyone else would have you believe. 
most people would rather do the right thing. We sort of do it by default. So human mm. nature contrary to what you may have heard, is not in fact selfish, nasty, brutish or short. It's not. It's just not. We compulsively form communities. One of the th- my mm. pet topics is the idea that the most unrealistic thing about zombie films isn't the zombies. It's the idea that sociopaths, cruelty and self-interest would actually hold the day. Why do you think we have societies? We have societies because we affiliate. As mm. soon as we need each other, we compulsively help. Yeah. We just do. Yeah. It's in our nature or we wouldn't have society in the first place. Going back to the whole news thing, I feel like the only reason lots of people watch the news is so they can then talk about the news with other it people is. and we it can is. all go oh my god this is all so terrible it's awful it's blah, true blah, blah, blah. it's true but the problem that we have is that because our default setting if you like is we are used to living in communities of maybe 150 to 200 people mm-hmm. where you could actually make a difference where knowing what was going on in the village if you like knowing the goss knowing all of the things helped you to parse and understand how to interact with your environment how to help mm. people how to action things the problem is that global news your brain is not significantly different to the first homo sapiens many many thousands of years ago and your brain makes you want to help mm. so when you see horrible large-scale things happening and you are helpless you can't do anything it makes you miserable it makes you believe that the world is a horrible dark place it makes you believe that people are cruel it makes you believe that it's all hopeless and there's nothing you can do and it disconnects you from that day-to-day lived experience that you know is more real Mm -hmm. that you know is more real actually if you walk out in your community and you were to burst into tears someone would hug you someone would buy you a coffee Mm -hmm. someone would ask you what's wrong because human beings fundamentally are actually pretty okay (laughs) really if you give them the chance they're pretty okay so is that is that also the key to happiness is in that control that and throw out a little sciencey thing oh, the locus go. of control oh. and whether the locus of control oh, is within no, 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 no. you I'm Sarah. internally I'm or externally there's a lot of that. So there's a lot of kind of, if you like, yes, your internal locus of control is better for you, but also kind of, if you like having that sense of realism of yes, the world out there is this, but actually being sort of realistic, there are things that I can action. My place in the world matters and I can action change and I can create and curate a space in my community around me where my friends know that they can come to me, where I know I can go to my friends, where people can tell me things and feel safe doing that. And actually, that's the only thing we can ever do, really, in the end. Like, yes, we can absolutely and we should, if you are in a position to do so, by all means, campaign for the things that you safe being able to do that by all Mm, means donate to charities mm, that matter to mm. you by all means do that but really the most profound difference you will ever make in another human being's life is sitting down and just being human at people just consistently Mm. being compassionate and understanding and human all of the time allowing ourselves our faults our failures our frailties and understanding that that's part of the human experience and we may take different routes to get to somewhere but if we all agree that the somewhere is just having a better life for all of us then that's okay um and so yeah news can very much distort our perception of mm. the world and make mean that we lose sight of that very human level of understanding and i must admit that after well i was must admit over the last few months and everything has just been too much 
that I will um, ensure that I know what's going on in the world, mm. but I have listened to so many more audiobooks than <laughs> yes. ever before. Absolutely. And just had silence and other stuff. And I just don't. I just, I take yeah. what I need and know that I can't do anything. And therefore, I'm not going to allow it to completely consume me with absolutely absolutely so taking that beautiful profound statement and saying (laughs) lovely i'm just doing what's right for me and what's needed i'd love to know the reason why people become people pleasers then because we're trying to be happy and we're trying to make other people happy when does it become a thing where you are putting somebody else's happiness Mm. before your own because yeah that feels like the right thing to do and then you become a people pleaser. No, that's true. And Mm. being a people pleaser, we know is detrimental. We know Mm. it's not good for you. And it comes back to this idea of authenticity because you need to be you. We know that happiness, genuine happiness, comes from being authentic, being your genuine authentic self, along with these other things that we've talked about, but manifesting those in a way that is authentic to you. And so the problem that we find with people pleasing is what happens is you devalue yourself. And it often comes from a place of either anxiety or um, questions about your self-esteem, or sometimes when people are still forming their identity and they're not fully secure in who they are. Mm. And so what they try and do is they try and see themselves through the filter of other people rather than centering themselves within themselves and finding that authentic space. And so what it becomes is you get this kind of, um, uh, if I do things that make other people happy, I'm relying on other people's happiness to tell me. And again, this is what we call external validation. And it comes from this intrinsic, extrinsic problem. External validation is validation from other people who say, you did a good thing. You made me happy. You pleased me. But it's not intrinsic. It's not internal validation. We need to validate and authenticate our own internal selves. Mm. And you can, as you said, get down this rabbit hole of if you are still in a process of figuring out who you are, or maybe there's other things that have sort of you're going through a transitional phase in your development or your sense of self. It can be difficult because people can take advantage of that and they can Mm. say, just do this and this will make me happy. Mm. Like my, my most hated phrase in the world is, could you just? (laughs) Like, could you just X or could you just Y? And it's like, "Mm, maybe not. Um, And I think it's very difficult sometimes because I think a lot of people can be socialized and this is, and not to get into a whole gendered thing, but women in particular are socialized to be responsible for and to curate and to support other people's emotional experiences. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) And so this idea of only understanding... Whereas boys can just be boys. Exactly. And so understanding and reflecting on yourself only in a positionality of how you... Um, enable, support or protect other people rather than actually focusing on your own internal integrity and self-actualization and being who you actually are Mm. can result in becoming a people pleaser. And that's, you get down this kind of, again, it's another treadmill, right? Because you don't spend that time focusing on your own authenticity or valuing your own internal gut action. And so instead what you do is you see yourself through the mirror of other people and again can can social media get in the way of that for the for the curating your life for the likes absolutely therefore measuring 
happiness or positivity in how other people see your life, not very actually much how so. you feel. No, very much so. And and the very, very public mental breakdowns of a number of social media stars of late mm. who've kind of done terrible yeah. things mm. and, you know, their fandom has turned against them and they've had to do like elaborate apologies videos and they've broken down and they've admitted that they got into this platform too young before they really knew who they were and they got caught up in all of that process and all of the affirmation and all of the external applause and became whatever the audience needed them to be without ever really figuring out who they were first. And mm. that can be incredibly damaging. And so that's that that aspect of, of, you know, for myself and for people of my generation or older, um, or maybe even immediately after, we are like, we are what I like to call amphibious. And I mean this not in the sense of a, of a um, you know, frog or a newt or a toad, but the idea that we can live in two spaces. I remember a world before social media. I was able to develop and curate my sense of self before social media became mm. a thing. And I think mm. we need to hold space and provide grace for young people who have never had a world where you just got to be who you were without the world watching. Which is so interesting mm. because I was part of that social media generation where I didn't really know a life before social media. But now there's this real thing taking over of being you know this whole thing of like people going these are the affirmations you should do in the morning and this mm. is x and it's mm. like we're really trying to force through social media this idea of this is your sense of self make yourself happy yeah. but it's still coming through this lens of you know yeah. i'm going to stand in the mirror every morning and say i'm so lucky my feelings matter but because social media told me to not because it's yes. genuinely going to mm. work Absolutely. And I think this is another thing that we come around to around positive psychology and what happiness actually is. Because the interesting thing about happiness is genuine, authentic happiness isn't actually about being happy all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's one of the key things is this idea where people kind of say, oh, just be happy. Don't worry about it. Just be happy. And what they mean is, I find your emotional experiences uncomfortable and I want you to suppress them on my behalf. (laughs) And, And actually, we know that that doesn't work. We know that that's incredibly bad for you. And we know that workplaces that misapply happiness research you just go well happy people are more productive so if we force everyone to be happy they'll be more productive and you're like no cheer up love it will never happen exactly smile you know all of that kind of stuff (laughs) yeah and we actually know that there are issues around what we call psychological safety so people do better in workplaces and environments where we have what we call psychological safety and what that means is you are safe to be your authentic self and to express your worries your concerns your negative motion to the same extent as your positive emotion and that actually creates a mentally healthier space where overall you will end up being happier because you are safe and allowed to be miserable sometimes like genuinely unauthentically you could say I am having a shit day leave me alone or like this has been terrible let's go and have a gin like all of these things are important so we sometimes conflate what happiness is, as in having a good life, having a happy, positive life with being happy all the time. And actually, that's not true. We need emotional complexity and nuance because if you were happy at a funeral, someone would probably have a problem with that. Like emotions are valid and we need to authentically experience them. And do we also need them for that sort of yin-yang? So yeah. um, years ago, I used to do um, uh, recordings for voices to be analysed. Hmm. And we had to do, we had to record them in three emotional states. They had to talk about a time in which they felt happy, mm. sad and angry. Mm. Um, now, the angry and the sad, they were all fine. But whenever they talked about a 
time that made them happy, mm. many of them would start in a period of frustration or a period of sadness or some negative emotion mm. to then give the background to the story to the point that they became happy. They rarely started in that happy this is the moment that I was happy. Exactly. And so we have an interesting way of understanding emotion, which is kind of getting quite conceptual. But essentially, we understand emotion on two levels. We understand something called valence. And valence means, is it positive or is it negative? And this is not a judgmental thing. This just means, does it feel good or does it feel bad? Mm. It doesn't mean it mm. is bad. It just feels bad, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, joy and contentment and, and pleasure are positive. Grief, sadness, loss, frustration, anger, these are negative. It feels bad. So there's valence, positive and negative. And there's something else that we understand is activation, activating or deactivating. Does it spur action or does it spur you to pull back, you know, think, go deactive and just kind of process? Mm. And interestingly, what we find is it, it positive, there are activating and deactivating positive and negative emotion. So let me simplify this. An activating positive emotion is joy. When you feel joy, you want to run around, you want to tell everyone, you want to do all the things. <laughs> it's great. You're full of energy. It's amazing. Contentment is positive, but it's deactivating. <sighs> Contentment, yeah, exactly, exactly what you're saying. You just want to lay I've back. I've my chin. Yeah, you just want to chill. You just want to yeah. be there. You know, it's fine. It's very zen. You just kind of want to be there in your feelings, right? Equally, negative emotion have activating and deactivating mm. states. Activating, anger. Mm. I'm angry. I am outraged. I am going to take action. I am going to fight with you. I am going to, this is a hill I'm dying on. Like all of this is anger and it's activating. Mm -hmm. Whereas, for example, grief or depression is deactivating. Mm. We pull back, we reflect, we process. Mm. And so understanding emotion on these dimensions tells us that actually there's a lot going on under the mm. hood when it comes mm. to emotion. And really a happy life is one that is rich, complex and nuanced, where we get to authentically experience and understand our emotional states, where we get to have things in our lives that make us happy, that provide us support, whether that's being in green spaces or our fandoms or our pets or our social support network. But really the key thing here is actually being able to recognize, parse, process, understand, and take action and decisions based on our emotions. So sometimes anger is good, right? We do not have action against social injustice without anger, without mm -hmm. outrage. Mm -hmm. So saying that anger is like a bad thing, it's not. It's all about you can have positive action from so-called negative emotion. You can be outraged, you can fight for a friend, you can stand up and mm. defend someone, and that's a positive thing. Equally, you can be so contented and, and you know, uh, uh, blithely oblivious that you never really enact anything in your life. And so this understanding of what our values are, what matter to us, what's important, and these things that can provide us that authentic expression of what makes us happy, what makes us sad, this rich emotional life that we understand and can communicate and can interact with each other and can human with each other is actually what happiness mm. really means. Whereas I think we often have this idea where happiness means being happy all the time, mm. but actually happiness means being in a place where you know who you are, where you're comfortable to express and work through your feelings and that you feel secure and supported in the people and the choices and the life that you live. 
that you can do that, that you continue to be you mm. and that, you know, you, you trust that other people will be themselves and you kind of meet in the middle. That was such a good, like, mic drop way to end with that, like, <laughs> yeah, boom, done it. <laughs> I thought, I'm just, uh, I'm sat here just going, yeah, I, yeah. I, cheers. Cheers. To, to how to be happy because I think you've given the sort of manifesto for happiness mm-hmm. mm. in one answer. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> so if we want to make ourselves into happier human beings, what are your top tips? Green space. Green space. Uh, if you pets. like them, if you like them, pets. <laughs> um, if you don't, that's fine. Um, so green space pets. But you don't have to have your own, do you? You could do yeah, like yeah. like on you. You, you know, can walk borrow. other people's yeah, pets. Yeah. You Absolutely. Know. You can volunteer at rescue centres. You can do you know things like that in your community. Or you Absolutely. could just watch silly animal videos online. Or you can watch silly animal videos, which is also great. Um, but I think also allowing yourself the grace to understand that whatever you're feeling is 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 relevant, is valid, that holding space for that to process that and decide the best way to move forward. Communicating with people that you know will support you in that and will hold space for you. So when you are ready, of course, but that sense of authenticity of spending the time and investing in understanding what do different things make me feel, allowing yourself to understand that being authentic in your feelings and communicating those clearly and well to people that you trust who you know will be there for you and will hold space for you but also reciprocating we know that being a support network for other people Mm. is good for us too so holding space for other people being compassionate allowing that anyone can have a bad day and that actually what's really important in our lives is about being good to each other rather Mm. than necessarily having this idea that being happy all the time is the goal being happy is about being good to ourselves so that we are in a place to be good to each other. So being authentic and honest about that with yourself and with other people, whatever makes you happy, get out, take some exercise, spend some time in green spaces, drink some gin if that's what you like, <laughs> get fancy coffee if that's your yes. preference. Have yeah, uh, Also a coffee snob. So like, yes, <laughs> have you, get fancy coffee, do these things, read wonderful books, learn how to understand other human beings and And in that process, also learn how to understand yourself because, Mm. you know, we only get one run at this. We're all learning the entire time. And the whole idea is that the longer you live, the more yourself you will become. And so trust in that process and allow yourself to go through that process because, you know, it's a journey. And the end of it is that we all disappear off the end of the world and no one knows how that works. Um, But you know, be there for yourself in the way that you would be there for other people. Because ultimately, this is, we are all figuring it out. So creating that grace for yourself as a flawed, complex, wonderfully Mm. improbable, Mm. super social, absolutely amazing entity and Mm. providing that grace for other people. I think that's how we make that work. But also maybe turning the news off now and then (laughs) and actually just being real with the people who understand you and who matter to you. Nice. Oh. Okay. If I can't decide if I want you to be my best friend or my therapist, maybe both. Um, yeah, we can do both. Oh, both great. <laughs> I'm always a fan of why not both. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and with plenty.
plenty of gin. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. exactly. We all, oh. I'm quite happy that we should regularly just do this in workshops. Yeah, maybe once a gin. week and we'll just, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I think that would be excellent. <laughs> certainly makes us happy totally <laughs> absolutely oh, you, it's been brilliant it's been Nick. thank so you good. so much yeah. this has been a delight I, I've, this is wonderful oh, <laughs> i've had the best time what a great way to start series five <gasps> brilliant way to start series five you are our first series five with a really good gin that i had to pour a second and i saw on you're looking at me going i, I did know, also I <laughs> i'm gonna leave um, out that door in a few moments and pour myself a different gin because i've got to absolutely why not thank you so much it has been brilliant we've got so many things to put on our t-shirt about happiness Um, so many ways to reward ourselves as good little labradors and to work with us as humans and just it's been brilliant really 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 good thank Thank you so so much much. it's been an absolute delight it's it's been wonderful you've made my week you've made me happy happy. (laughs) I'm doing my happy dance Wow. Are you happy? I am. That was a lovely way to start Series 5. It was a really good way to start Series 5. I love Nick. And actually... It wasn't too bad, you not being there. No, I mean, it was I miss okay. you. I miss you. It was you. all right. Yeah, it yeah. was okay. We still had our social stroking. We did. We did. And what a great episode. Love it's Nick. Really good. Love, love happiness. They love can come the gent anytime. They can join they us can. anytime. I love them. Really, really cool. Love the gin. Love yep. the whole conversation. Loved it. Um, so, what makes me happy? Gin and topic makes me happy because I love these conversations. We need to have green space. We need to be our authentic selves. We need to have a little bit of social time, but just however much is right for us because we're all nuanced and weird. Absolutely. And how you do that social and what that is to ensure that you know that you are a human being and part of the world. That's the main thing. You can be a happy hermit. Mm-hmm. But I, I was thinking about the um, Tom Hanks on a on an island with the um, castaway? football castaway when he had the football. <laughs> you know, you can lose yourself right, yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. If you don't have the human interaction. You know, so yeah, happy hermits, totally, but need some Mm -hmm. degree of social and support networks, however you find them. Yeah, because we all find them in different ways. And don't do too much social media. Find your support system on the social media and you'll probably be okay. But yeah, making sure that you're doing it for you and you're Mm. you're using it. I, I think, you know, it is that do you and use social media in order to you mean when i sit there and i go you do you bestie i'm right i do mean you do you you bestie (laughs) yeah you do you no 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 you do you bestie say it properly do you bestie well done (laughs) um but yeah the using the social media so that it fits you not having to please it yeah please others doing things that don't make you happy mm-hmm. and that yeah avoiding the things that don't make you happy not ignoring them it's like the news just yeah you know we know the stuff's out there 
we're not being ignorant, but actually it's not going to make you happy just to wallow in it all the time. Mm. There we go. Basically, I do like what it. makes you happy. And dogs. And dogs. And pets. Do what makes you happy. And if you ah. like animals of any variety, spend time with them. Yeah. And it's okay not to be happy because happiness isn't about being happy all of the time. You've got to have those different emotions and understanding yourself. Like right now. Love that. I'm hungry. Are you? So am I. But I'm enjoying the gin. Mm. Uh, probably a bit too more than... Two more? Two, two more? Exactly. <laughs> more than I should. Yeah, somebody's enjoyed her gin rather a lot. It's quite good I'm not with you because it means that I have to stay within a slightly sober range for now. For now. So, go make yourself happy with some food. I will. And maybe a little bit more gin. And a bit more gin with friendship because I'm going to spend some time with Frey. I'm going to make myself happy by going and eating some food with the family and the dogs. It's not the whole family because I'm not there, but okay. Lots of F words. Family, dogs, they're not F words. I really, I'm so glad you stopped because if you'd (laughs) carried on and used the actual F word, I would leave this Zoom call right now because I have that option now. I can go, you're being disgusting. That wouldn't make me happy. (laughs) Wouldn't make me happy. Would not. Opia, we like Opia, lovely. Gonna make a martini with it when you're home next. Yay, that makes me happy. (laughs) Nice. Well, there you go. We finished the gin. That was this week's topic. Join us next week for another one. Lovely. Where can people find us in the meantime, Sarah? At Topic Gin. So find us on Twitter, find us on Instagram, find us on Face FaceTime? No? Facebook? We're on Facebook. Yeah. Oh good. But we're not on TikTok. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> or you can head over to our website, ginandtopic.com. And you can email us hello at ginandtopic.com. And you can see us on Tuesday for the tasting room. The next gin. Oh, can't wait. See you then. And see you next week for the next topic too. Ooh.